1 Kings chapter 19. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, how he had killed the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I don't make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. When he saw that, he arose and ran for his life. <laughs> and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a juniper tree. Then he requested for himself that he might die, and said, It is enough now, O Yahweh, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. He lay down and slept under a juniper tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. <laughs> he looked and behold, there was a, at his head a cake baked on the coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. Yahweh's angel came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. He arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb. God's mountain. He came to a cave there and camped there, and behold, Yahweh's word came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for Yahweh, the God of armies, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. He said, Go out and stand on the mountain before Yahweh. Behold, Yahweh passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke it in pieces, the rocks before Yahweh. But Yahweh was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but Yahweh was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake a fire passed, but Yahweh was not in the fire. And after the fire there was a still, small voice. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in the mantle, went out, and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? <laughs> he said, I've been very jealous for Yahweh, the God of armies, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Yahweh said to him, Go. Return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. Anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, to be king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, to be prophet in your place. He who escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. And he who escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all the knees of which have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth of which has not kissed him. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was ploughing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth. Elijah went over to him and put his mantle on him. Elisha left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me please kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. He said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? He returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and killed them, boiled their meat with the instruments of the oxen and gave to the people and they ate. And then he arose and went after Elijah and served him. 
This chapter has been preached by preachers so many times. I've heard lots of sermons on this. I've heard sermons talking about how, you know, when you're depressed, God gives you cakes, supplies you need. You know, that's what happened to Elijah. So many interesting sermons. In a 10 or 12 minute chat, I can hardly talk about everything in this chapter, but we'll talk about a few things. The first thing is that in the chapter before, you know, there'd been that great confrontation on Mount Carmel, or you know, near Mount Carmel, and then they had killed 850 prophets, 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah, and then these were all Jezebel's prophets, and she's mad. <laughs> and she says, by this time tomorrow, Elijah, I'm going to get you. And so Elijah runs. Now, a lot of preachers and a lot of books you read, they all say that Elijah was scared. Well, I don't know that I don't know if he actually was scared or not. It doesn't say he was scared. It says he ran for his life. And then the next thing is he's depressed. Now, being scared and being depressed seem like very different emotions to me. I don't know. I'm not someone that completely gets emotions and how they work and all the complexity. You know, we have people that study all these things. But to me, these seem like opposite type of emotions or contrasting emotions that don't quite fit. My sense is that he just knew, I've got to get out of here, I'm going to die. It was more practical. <laughs> like the early church, you know, when the persecution broke out in Jerusalem, they just scattered. And Jesus said, if, if, you know, if you're persecuted, flee. It's not whether you're scared or not, it's just what you do. So I don't think we necessarily know if he was scared. And if you read the chapter before, he was clearly confronting the prophets of Baal. I mean, he had to do something that took a lot of courage. He was very courageous. So my sense is he's a pretty courageous man and um, he's bolting for his life here, not because he's scared, although he could have been, but probably because he's just realized he's got to go. It's not safe. So he goes, he's out in the desert and there he gets depressed. And he gets depressed, I think, because it's like all his hard work's just been undone. It's like, you know, can't I get a break? Can't I just get ahead? It's like, I am the last one of all the prophets, you know, and it must have felt almost pointless, like he could never get ahead. And, and that's a, a feeling that a lot of people can relate to. People who are otherwise good at what they do, but despite their very best efforts, it feels like they're not making any progress. And if you look at what Elijah did, it was incredible. And yet it didn't seem to make much of a difference for Israel because Israel didn't long-term or permanently change. And yet the story is written in the Bible for us and it's had a lasting effect on all the history of the entire world. So you'd have to say that from his perspective, it might've been hopeless, but it was far from hopeless. It was a crucial part of the Bible. And this is the same for us. Things happen in our life and we can very easily be demotivated and, and lose, give up. And yet, when we follow the Lord, even through the, the, the circumstances that are so hard to, to walk in, it's doing something wonderful, not just for us, but for generations to come and for the history of the world. We have an effect. You, you know, and you think of these little watches that you get out of Switzerland. Have you ever had a Swiss watch? My wife has a Swiss watch. She also repairs watches. She used to work for, as a jeweler, like work with a jeweler and repair watches. And um, when you take the back off a watch and you look in one of those fancy Swiss watches, the amount of gears and things that are in there, well, some gears are big and some gears are small. <laughs> Elijah was a big gear. 
It's just that he didn't know he was a big gear. But you and I, we might just be small gears, and we know it. We know we're small gears. But if you take just one little small gear out of that watch, what happens to the entire watch? Stops working. So in the funny way that the Lord does things, we're all needed. This is the body of Christ. If one part of the body of Christ is missing, the whole body suffers. And so it's very easy to feel a lack of motivation or feel depressed or feel down um, because we don't have the perspective to see uh, what our contribution is making. Or Now, it could be that you're depressed for other legitimate reasons. It could be that you actually have ruined your life or messed it up. You know, apparently, according to Jewish tradition, Adam was very depressed. And when you think about how he messed up the whole world, that makes a lot of sense. So it could be that you've got legitimate reasons to be depressed. Well, even if that's true, there's only one place to go. It's to the Lord. If you go, and, and to, to illustrate this, there's actually four people in the Bible who got so depressed, they asked God to take their life. And Elijah in this chapter is one of them. He says, you know, his life's not worth living. Yahweh, take me now. <laughs> so it's, it's Elijah. It's Jonah. If you go and read Jonah chapter 4, verse 3, he's so angry at the Lord because God's not doing it the way he wants. He asked God to take his life. He says, my life's not worth living. Jeremiah has a legitimate complaint against God. In Jeremiah chapter 20, verses 14 and 15, he wishes he was never born. Job goes through such terrible suffering that the Lord allows, he doesn't understand, he wishes he was never born. So we've got these four people who are all depressed. Job, Elijah, Jeremiah, and Job. But you notice who they all talk to about it. They all talk to God about it. Now these are all men of God, all four of these people, Job, Jonah, Jeremiah, and Elijah, they're all prophets. Now some people say Job's not a prophet. He, he's a kind of a prophet. But all four of them are, uh, you could say, great men of God, and they all suffer depression. And if you're a man of God or a woman of God, it's sometimes, even though you walk with the Lord, depression can still come. But the place to go with it is to the Lord. There are some other people who went away from the Lord. There are some actual some people who, who committed suicide. There are five of them in the Bible. There's Judas. Now, there's a man who messed things up, and he did not go to the Lord. There's Ahithophel. We've talked about him in, in 1 Samuel, he, uh, in 2 Samuel. He, um, he was a picture of Judas, but he committed suicide, and he did not go to the Lord. We've got Saul and Saul's armor bearer who both committed suicide. They did not turn to the Lord. And Samson. Samson's the only one who commits suicide who he kind of gives his life. It, it's not really suicide in the normal sense. He's not depressed. But he gives his life for the Lord's purpose. So Sam, Samson's actually a picture of Christ who gave his life. What Jesus did was not suicide. Jesus gave his life and Samson does the same. But Samson is listed as one of five people who've committed suicide. He's kind of not really. So you've got these four people, Jonah, Elijah, Jeremiah, and Job, who are all so depressed they want to die, and yet they all go to the Lord, and the Lord uh, is with them, and their lives continue. Then you've got these four others, let's discount Samson, who commit suicide. Saul, Saul's armor bearer, Ahithophel, and Judas. They're all struggling with their feelings, and they do not go to the Lord. They take their lives. When we're depressed, uh, when you're down, if it's for a legitimate reason, you need to go to the Lord and ask for his grace to start to work in you. 
If it's because you feel hopeless, like you feel like your work is not succeeding, it could very well be that there's a bigger picture that you're not seeing and need to ask the Lord to give you wisdom and understanding. It doesn't matter what the cause is, the Lord is the answer to it all. So after this, the Lord strengthens, instead of uh, answering Elijah's prayer and taking his life, because you know, sometimes the Lord doesn't answer our prayer because he's got a better plan. So the Lord strengthens him which is what the Lord does when people are depressed and cry out to him. And then he sends him on a 40-day journey to Mount Sinai. This chapter says Horeb, but Horeb and Sinai are the same place. So this is where we have an interesting little dilemma because I thought to myself, it can't be 40 days walk from Bethel. You know, he was, uh, sorry, he wasn't in Bethel. He was at Beersheba. He was a day's journey into the wilderness from Beersheba. It can't possibly have been 40 days journey to Mount Sinai. The children of Israel, I think the Bible said that it was a 11 or a 12 day walk from Egypt to Israel. So when the children of Israel were coming out, the Bible says it was an 11 or a 12 day walk. Now it obviously took them a lot longer because they didn't just walk there. So we, and when I did the Google Maps thing that I like to do, you know, I worked out where Beersheba was. Now um, Elijah was within a day of Beersheba. So it could have been a day more or a day less. Um, from there to the Arabian location of Mount Sinai. So to pause for a second, there are two popular suggested locations for Mount Sinai. One is in Egypt, St. Catherine's Monastery. That's the popular one. The other one is in Arabia. When I did the Google Maps to the one in Arabia, it was around about, Google said it was a 12-day walk. They worked out 460 kilometers around about 12 days to get there. And I guess it's rugged terrain, you don't go in a straight line. So, and if they went to the one in Egypt, it would have been slightly less, about 11 days walk or 10 days walk. So either way, it's nowhere near the 40 days. So people are saying, oh, the Bible is wrong. Yeah, the Bible's got its facts wrong. <laughs> the Bible doesn't give a reason why it took 40 days to get there. But you've got to come to the point, place at some point where you just say, okay, he walked for 40 days to get there. Obviously, the Holy Spirit did not take him straight there, but took him in a longer direction. The children of Israel took 40 years to get there. The Holy Spirit took them in a very long direction. So I think the Holy Spirit has clearly done this so that it took 40 days, because the number 40 is an important number, and it appears everywhere. The number 40 means testing. So here we've got the picture of testing again. You know, Jesus, tested for, Jesus was tested for 40 days. Elisha, was, Elisha walked for 40 days. The Israelites were in the desert for 40 years. Moses went up the mountain for 40 days. The number 40 appears lots of times and it's always in association with testing. You know, when Moses went up the mountain for 40 days, it was the people down below that were being tested. So all this type of thing is going on. So don't worry about the, dif the difference in time to get there. Elijah probably just walked along the way because the Holy Spirit wanted it to take 40 days. So that's my suggestion. So um, a few years ago, uh, I had a fr I got a friend, a really good friend, and uh, a, a real blessing here in Rockhampton. And he's very generous. He's given a lot of money to support churches, our church and other churches. Has a real heart for the work of the Lord. And um, he was on a holiday, and he went to Mount Sinai. Now, this is the one in Egypt, St. Catherine's Monastery. And when he was there, he... Um, he was thinking of Moses. You know, Moses went up the mountain and Moses saw God face to face and, and, um, and he was thinking, 
you know what, I, I haven't heard the voice of God. That's what he was thinking. He says, I, I, God hasn't spoken to me. And he's right then in that moment at Mount Sinai, and I tend to think that the one in Egypt is Mount Sinai. It's the most popular location. That's where he was. And he prayed and he said, Lord, I want to hear your voice. And right in that moment, he heard a soft, still voice talking to him. It was the Lord. <laughs> and you know what? That's what happened with Elisha, uh, Elijah. And, you know, God wasn't in the fire and the earthquake. And sometimes we're looking for God in these big, obvious things. And when a big, obvious thing goes on, we think to ourselves, oh, God must have done that. Well, probably, but not necessarily. But sometimes God just speaks in a still, small voice. And you know what, my friend, he, he's heard the Lord speak to him so many times since because he, he realized that's just how the Lord speaks. You don't have to be on Mount Sinai. And in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 12, it says, we have not come, now the we is the church, the body of Christ. It says, we have not come to a mountain that can be touched. In other words, we haven't come to a physical mountain. We're not talking about Mount Sinai now. He says, but you have come to a mountain, Mount Zion. And then it goes to say what Mount Zion is. It says it's the New Jerusalem. It's, it's, it's the church of the firstborn. In other words, where, there's a mountain that we come to. It's not a physical place. It's a spiritual place. And in that mountain, the Lord speaks. Just like the Lord spoke to Elisha, Elijah and the Lord spoke to Moses and my friend, the Lord speaks to us too today because it's not a physical place. We come to this place by faith. We come by joining our hearts towards God's people. So now we together have become the mountain and that's where we are. And then the Lord can speak to us. So just like my friend, I suggest you say to the Lord, Lord, I want to hear your voice speak to me and listen. And he can talk in lots of ways. He can certainly talk in fires and earthquakes and in big loud events, but he can also talk in ways that you will not know until you hear them. So this chapter finishes with God giving Elijah three jobs to do. He had to anoint Hazael, the king of Syria, anoint Jehu, the king of Israel, and anoint Elisha to be his successor. And strangely, in the rest of Elijah's life, he only does one of the three things. But Elisha, now, so of the three things, the one thing he does do is appoint Elisha as his successor. Elisha does the other two things. So that's a very, very interesting picture for us because it shows us that the Lord sometimes gives us jobs, but our children will do them. And so this is where we realize the body of Christ is multi-generational. When the Lord calls a church or a people, like here at Peace, we've been called by the Lord, but it's something that's not just given to the senior pastor to do, but to the people to do, and then to the next generation. So it becomes a multi-generational work. And so you can say that Elijah did complete the three things he was given because he clearly told Elisha they had to be done and anointed him and Elisha went to do them. So Elijah was faithful in fulfilling his three tasks because he saw it in a generational way. And we need to think this, this way as well. Lord, thank you that we've not come to a mountain that can be touched. Thank you, Lord, that you're with us. Thank you that your grace is upon us. And Lord, help us to hear your voice. Lord, help us to know what you're saying. Lord, let the voice of the Lord be heard. Lord, let all my listeners hear your voice today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.